Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is growing bold and entrepreneurship. And our guest is Jesse Sadler, the director and founder of Christina Stevens, an inclusive clothing brand that can also be NDIS funded, which is pretty amazing. In this episode, we'll hear how Jesse came up with the idea for Christina Stevens out of pure necessity and spotted a big gap in the disability market and how women with disabilities have embraced this amazing brand. Jesse, welcome to Grow Bold with Disability. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. So, Jesse, before we talk about uh, your amazing brand, Christina Stevens, uh, I'd love a little bit of background on you. I mean, you have a Bachelor of Business, a Master's degree in International Trade Law and an MBA. Where does this love of business come from? Uh, so, that's a good question. Um, I guess it is being brought up in a family that was business-oriented and had their own businesses. So, I was always um, in that kind of environment. Um, and have always been involved in business one way or another. Um, more recently, when I completed the MBA, I think business studies has evolved beyond just a financial bottom line and, and now people are looking at social and environmental bottom lines as part of business activity and that's where probably my strongest interest is. Well, you mentioned family business orientated. Before you got into clothing, what other industries had you been involved in? Yeah, so mainly from the energy sector, uh, renewable energies and um, most recently oil and gas uh, in the commercial space. Um, so it was quite a leap into <laughs> yeah. fashion from, from that area. Just a little bit different, <laughs> that one. <laughs> it is, yeah, but I like to keep things interesting. Was it scary going from that energy sector and so forth into something that you weren't very familiar with? Uh, so I have had a lot of um, help in terms of bought-in talent and done a few uh, short training courses, but I guess I had a bit of time to ease my way into fashion. I um, gave up the oil and gas industry when I went on maternity leave with my second child and that's when I kind of had a bit more time to, to focus on what I wanted to do and to um, bring myself up to speed where I needed to to operate in this sector. And so talking about that that leap into fashion, tell us about Christina Stevens. How did that all come about? Yeah, so um, it, it's morphed into a brand and with products that was very different from where I started. Um, I began looking at post-surgical clothing um, in the early days and um, the more I worked on different designs and looked look what was out in the market, uh, it, it has evolved into something for women with movement and mobility restrictions. And my, my mum had a fall uh, about five years ago that really, um, I guess, started the concept because it, she's a very trendy lady, a very health conscious lady, um, but when she damaged her elbows, it was very limited, the options that she had out in the market and uh, that was really annoying for her. Now, this podcast is about entrepreneurship. So you've obviously, at that time when your mum was sort of hurt herself, you saw a little gap in the market. How does someone then turn that into 
a profitable business? Uh, so we're still working very hard to do that. Uh, we've had we've been operating since uh, the end of March this year. Um, to, so from concept to um, launching a business, uh, it's a lot of um, desktop research to start with and a lot of design work and making sure that you're working with the market you're going to sell to. So I was very fortunate to work with um, design focus groups, so the women who I intended to sell to who were post-stroke um, patients or were suffering from different types of arthritis. Um, it was an iterative process in the design of these um, clothes um, to get their feedback and input. Um, so I think that was the most important thing and, and we've moved on to have more formal design groups to, um, to get this next collection up and running. Um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. It sounded like waffle. No, no, no. Because <laughs> you know, with people starting out in a small business, it's always the, the, the first step is normally the hardest of where do I, what do I do? But obviously, with the internet, as you say, you get down on the desktop and you just you research, research, research is pretty much the background, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Initially, just to get your concepts cemented in your own mind and to make sure that there is a market and there's not a lot of competition for what you're looking at doing, but then talking to people and as many people as you can, um, I can't reinforce enough how important that is to get real-life feedback once you're over the desktop research phase. Sure, for sure. And I know that um, like in my own life, I find it as a paratrooper user so difficult to buy like suits and different clothes to fit. It's an absolute nightmare. What are some of the issues that um, you were finding with clothing for ladies living with disability? What were the frustrations that they were experiencing? Uh, so I, the, the first one is the, um, the, such a wide variation in physical disabilities means mm. that there's, there's little choice out in the market, um, for people, I guess, with cerebral palsy who might be in an, in a wheelchair and also using a, um, a stick to move around compared to someone who's in a, uh, wheelchair full time. So they have very different needs. So trying to find, um, a design that can be scaled up to suit those two different customers. Um, one of the other really interesting things was I made the assumption that um, an online store would be the best option because people who were less mobile would find it harder to get out mm. into bricks and mortar stores. And so that assumption is not, not entirely correct um, because – because of where adaptive and inclusive clothing is in its growth um, around the world, there's still a big need for women to touch and feel and check that there's no zips and until they find trust in the brand. So that's something that we've had to address and we're looking at um, trying to get the label into bricks and mortar as well as online. Mm. Um, but the, the online bit also is important because some of the ladies I was speaking to said that they just, even if they buy from bricks and mortar, they'll never try the clothing on mm. um, because the change rooms don't suit them. They feel pressured about the amount of time they spend in change rooms. The retail assistants aren't trained up to help mm. them. So there needs to be a really good return policy as well. So it's been quite fascinating, all of the different needs for this particular product. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned growth around the world in this industry there. Is how, how is how is the growth around the world? Is there a lot of it happening, or are you finding there's a really really small market and you've really tapped into something here? 
Uh, in Australia, we've we've hit jackpot because there's not a lot happening at all. Mm. Um, there is a much faster growing movement in the US. Um, I think we're about ten years behind them. Um, but and and then in Europe, there is definitely a movement. So and uh, it's quite a collegiate community to understand which markets are doing what and how progressive they are. There are very large um, figures, dollar figures being thrown out there about how big the adaptive clothing industry is. Um, a lot of people in the industry are still trying to understand where that figure came from. Um, yeah, um, so it, it's definitely on a growth trajectory. We in Australia can get uh, fully funded for our clothing by mm. NDIS, uh, which is really fortunate. Uh, in the UK, they get their VAT tax relief, so there's some support there for clothing. In the US, there's nothing. So there's different challenges and opportunities in each market as well. Well, Jesse, you did mention there that we're 10 years behind America. What, where does that come from and why do you think that is? Look, I'm really, I'm really not sure. Um, I don't know how to answer that. I think we are in Australia where the plus size clothing industry was mm -hmm. 15 years ago and America was all over that mm. before we were all over that or more accepting of that. So um, perhaps they, because they have a larger population, that they, they were able to sell into that market um, more readily than us in Australia before the international kind of uh, what's what am I looking for? International sales and transactions mm -hmm. was so much easier. And given obviously that we are so far behind the states, um, I imagine these products are, are so desperately needed and, and also loved from your Australian customers. What what's the response been from from uh, your customers? Yeah, really delightful actually. So uh, we've we have a lot of support um, from from the women we're working with. I have a very strong sustainability um, mandate in our manufacturing and design and the fabrics we use, so that's had a lot of support and is a bit of a point of differentiation mm -hmm. as well. Um, and the quality of the product, I think, um, has been very well received. Um, sorry, so I will go back to to your question about why sure. is the state so far ahead? Um, there. They're probably not that far ahead in modern product. Um, so, you know, a 35-year-old disabled woman um, was probably looking at aged care um, type clothing in the US market in terms of availability. So we haven't really modernised um, fashion for people with disabilities collectively until more recently. And has that been part of the drive? Because as you say, yeah, Tends, tended to be kind of bland and very simple and basic materials and tends to be uncomfortable, not your softer sort of materials. Has that been part of the drive for you to make it sort of, in inverted commas, trendy? Yeah. So like women with disabilities are like women without disabilities. They just want to look good and feel confident and um, value their clothing and it just seemed uh, that part of the market has been overlooked or there's an assumption that people with disabilities can't afford a quality product or that um, they're happy to wear aged care, adaptive type clothing. Um, and uh, when I speak to counterparts around the world, that's a pretty consistent theme. 
I think it's a, a great normalizing thing. I mean, we need to look good too, Pete. We are. Uh, we want to dress up. <laughs> you and... always do. Chris, Chris yeah. you always do. <laughs> I try. Sometimes I try. Jesse's in his pajamas right now, so we'll forget about that. Oh, aren't we all though? We're on we're on the podcast <laughs> on our phone. <laughs> now, actually, let me jump in here because this one this intrigued me when I started doing my research about Christina Stevens. Jesse, when I was looking for to have a chat to you, I was looking for a Christina Stevens. I thought that was actually a person, but my research tells me it's not. Where did the name came come from? Yeah, so I love this question because I'm constantly <laughs> being called Christina. Um, it, when, I, when I was doing my research, I was finding the labels that were out there, I found, were a bit condescending. And um, so the, the names reminded me, if I was the customer, that I was wearing special clothing or I was wearing hospital clothing or it was like... Um, I don't want to use any of the competitor names, but yeah, I wanted to create a label that sounded like a designer label. Mm-hmm. And um, as you'd be aware, out in the market, there's a lot of two name designer labels that sound groovy. Um, Christine is my mum's name, and Stephen is my dad's name. And so uh, I put uh, them together. So it was a little bit uh, more personal to me. Oh, very nice. Although Jesse Sadler's a nice name, that would have sounded cool. Uh, I don't think it sounds as cool as Christina Stevens. <laughs> <Fair enough>. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as we've touched on, Christina Stevens is now NDS funded, which is amazing. Um, how does this happen? How do you actually achieve that status? So it's not a status. Um, we, we're not a registered service provider um, with the NDIS. Mm-hmm. We um, people who are on a core supports um, budget and have an allocation, a specific allocation, can use their funding um, to purchase our clothing. So um, you need to be within that specific budget type. Um, and as as a provider of clothing, if it was extremely unclear or ambiguous how our product was going to help uh, a customer with NDIS funding, we would have to get a letter written by a physio or an OT to support that our product helps them. Because our product is so obvious, um, we've had an easy run and customers can either request a a pre-purchase invoice and get approval from their plan manager or they can just purchase it and get reimbursed. So we've been very fortunate with that. Yeah, that's great. Now, you've mentioned sustainability a fair bit. Why is that so important to you and what are you guys doing to achieve it? Yeah, so I guess, um, well, to, to answer that is that the fashion industry, the fast fashion industry is um, causes so much damage with landfill and mm-hmm. dyeing and uh, manufacturing. We didn't really want to add to the problem. So with we, we manufacture in Australia, um, that may change down the road, but my my reasoning to do with to do that was that we we know what our labor laws are like, we know what our industri- our environmental laws are like, um, and so I was comfortable in doing that here rather than a um, manufacturer offshore that I wasn't as familiar with to start the process. Mm-hmm. With our fabrics, um, we use all organic cotton. In our range, we use all OECOTEC certified Australian Merino, which means that there's no harmful chemicals in the manufacturing process. 
and with our bamboo, I uh, went over to China to specifically investigate the factories myself and to validate their certifications um, that they were environmentally friendly produced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really important to me. Um, yeah. uh, we're getting great feedback from our customers. We may use remnant fabrics down the track, which is um for example, non-organic cotton, but it's uh, a polyester that's been diverted from landfill and reused again in a new manufacturing process. So, cool. yeah, it is a it is a core principle of ours. Fantastic! I love merino. I think it's amazing. But um, what can we do as consumers to help with this sustainability? How can we support this? I just think better educating yourselves. Um, so. Um, Understanding the damage that fast fashion causes um, is is a great start. Understanding the brands that you're buying and, you know, it's not that hard to do a bit of digging around to see where they're manufacturing and, um, you know, how many collections they're turning over in a year is a good indication if something's fast fashion or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just consuming less, like buying better, um, buying pieces that can be dressed up or down is is how we design for so that you don't need uh, a different top to wear to a job interview compared to a Saturday lunch type thing so mm. just just redefining your own wardrobe and how you how you wear it there's also a little bit to be said about the old needle and thread as well isn't there like the other day I had a tear in my jeans and I went you know what I'm just going to fix those myself instead of throwing them out and getting a new pair Good man. Well done. <laughs> I didn't know you had that skill, Pete. That's a skill. Oh, yes. I'm very, very handy with the needle and thread. Just ask my kids. They love it. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, yeah, mending rather than throwing out as well. And the the, pro- the I guess it's a problem now, but the opportunity that we've had is that Fast fashion produces cheaper clothing, which means they're more disposable. So if we buy better, we spend a bit more, we're less likely to be so um, disposable about our clothes. And I just think that that's that's an education that we need to teach our kids and, and consumers out there at the moment. Yeah, 100%. And so I'd love to sort of shift gears just a little bit and I mean we've spoken about your experience in the business world for someone who has a business idea and they like to pursue it themselves what advice do you have to them what what advice would you pass on uh just get started don't don't think about it for too long (laughs) yeah um because of you know if you go Go and do uni degrees or training. They will teach you to do these beautiful marketing and business plans and getting them all right and that's correct but I think if you spend too much time on the academic side of starting a business rather than just getting your hands dirty and talking to people, um, that wastes a lot of time and you might miss an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to um, – I I guess I just keep going back to talk to people. You don't have to always talk to the right people, but networking is a big thing um, to to make contacts, um, to find suppliers, um, yeah, and keep testing the idea, come back, redefine it, get out there and test it again um, and probably do that for a few months and then just get stuck into it. Jesse, a lot of people have the fear with this side of stuff as well is the fact they haven't got enough money behind them to get it off the ground. Do, 
we just say to people that they need a lot of money to get something off the ground like this, or is it just a lot of you know blood and sweat, if you know what I mean? Um, it, well, it, that's how long is a piece of string. It depends what you're doing. True. But um, yeah, uh, I would say in my experience is yeah, do some research to put the budget together for what you think you need. Um, go out and get quotes and, and get proper hard figures, and then double it. Okay, because. The amount of mistakes and you are going to make mistakes because you're starting a new business. The amount of mistakes that you make um, is costly and you, I'm not saying be irrational about how you spend your money but you want to keep moving and making decisions rather than overanalyzing every single move. Um, so I, I'd say always over budget for starting a business. Mm. But there are a lot of um, great grants out there, particularly now in COVID period. Um, the, the Queensland government have um, fabulous grants. There's a, a lady startup through Mia Friedman for mentoring support. Um, the federal government, Oz Industry, has a range of um, startup stuff. So keep looking at that um, as, a, as a funding source matched with private funding as well. Great advice. I love it. That's fantastic advice. So, uh, Jesse, as you know, our podcast is called Grow Bold with Disability and we always like to ask our guests, what does growing bold mean to you? Um, growing bold means self-confidence, I guess, um, or not I guess, that's what it means to me. Um, so backing yourself, um, not second-guessing all the decisions you're making and, um, yeah, not being afraid to try Try something new. I think that's what Growing Bold is to me. Beautiful. Fantastic. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today here on Grow Bold with Disability, brought to you by Ferros Care. And listeners can find out more about Christina Stevens Clothing and, of course, a little bit more about Jesse in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Jesse Sadler, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been fun. Lovely. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, then please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.